Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. In November 2018, after Ireland had beaten New Zealand at Lansdowne Road, I sat in on the press conference of the All Blacks coach Steve Hansen, who boldly declared that Ireland were now the best team in the world. That's certainly how the headlines had it later that night. And to be fair, the quote was totally accurate. But having been there to see the way Hansen delivered the line, I couldn't help thinking he was playing a bit of a longer game here. Since it was one versus two in the rankings today, as of now, as of now, Ireland are the number one team in the world, so that result makes them favourites for the World Cup. Hmm. We all know how things went for us at that competition, so please forgive me if I'm slow to accept all the praise being thrown our direction after the win against Wales, especially when a lot of it seems to be stemming from our next opponents. Welcome to the show. Hi, Murph. Hi, Ken. Hey, Hello. how's it going? Hello, Owen. How are you? France captain Antoine Dupont. Ireland are surely, surely the favourites for the championship, he says. France defence coach Sean Edwards. Ireland are the form team in world rugby. Anyone think there's a theme developing here? We've still got a full week of this to go, but maybe I'm, listen, maybe I'm wrong to be sceptical about all the praise. I should just accept we are the best team in the world, guys. Cheers. And we should now go over Paris, (laughs) suck the French, and go on. Why can't I just, why can't I be like a Welsh rugby supporter when they win a match um, by that sort of dominant and just accept that, yeah, we're a brilliant team and we're going to win. There's just something in the back of my mind that thinks everyone else is always setting us up for a fall. It's a scammy Irish. Yeah, well, it's just, it's just everything in recorded Irish rugby history. That's, that's That's the thing that's holding you back there. Other yeah. than that, I mean, there, I can't see any other real reason for you to be so downbeat. You know, I, I feel like Antoine glorious Dupont, Monday morning. Sean Edwards, these guys are smart rugby men. I think they've probably seen these trends in the past. And they're, <laughs> and also, they had Italy in the opening weekend, so they had a lot of time to think about their psychological ploy for the much bigger match the following week. But yeah, well, cert- they certainly played the first half hour like they oh. were thinking about Ireland and how they could uh, <laughs> win the battle of the press room over the next yeah. 
five days or whatever. <laughs> the battle of the press room. Make journalism and tell the truth. Uh, Simon's going to be in shortly with Shane Horgan and Alan Dimmock from World Rugby Magazine. And we'll have more build-up to the France game during the week on the World Service. Shane, Andrew Trimble, Paul Grayson, Johnny Beattie, Jerry Flannery, all part of our Top Six Nations analysis this season. To become a member, you can go to secondcaptains.com and sign up for just five euro a month plus VAT. Enough of the preamble, though. Let's address the elephant, the tartan-clad elephant in the room. <laughs> the red wig wearing elephant. <laughs> so it's the oldest formula in the world. Have people given Scotland a good chance of winning the game this weekend against England? Yes, and they lose. So they will lose on Saturday evening. Uh, oh, and there's no doubt about that. England will play terribly and win. Scotland will show flashes of brilliance and lose. Andy Nicholl will be on the BBC saying stuff like, there's a lot to be positive about. And if Scotland <laughs> keep playing like this, I've no doubt they're going to win more games <laughs> than they'll lose in this year's Six Nations Championship. And Scotland are going to win here with an ounce of composure. Back to Stuart Oh, Chris Jones calling the final moments from Murrayfield on BBC Five Live. Oh, Murph, 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 Murph. I've been looking forward to this apology to the nation of Scotland all weekend. It's Hogglebox. You know, I had a huge amount of belief within the boys um, to come down here and win. Stuart Hogg turns up top of winning the bloody World Cup. I love it. Stuart Hogg. I believed in the boys' ability. <laughs> Scotland are a disgrace to work for. <laughs> It is the 58th minute of the England-Scotland game last Saturday evening on. England lead 14-10 despite Scotland being the far superior side. Henry Slade puts a kick into the Scottish 22. Their captain, leader, legend, Stuart William Hogg, races back to retrieve. As the ball is about to trickle out for a 50-22, he hugs it back into play as Max Malins <laughs> bears down at it. What the hell is he doing? Hogg, Hoggy retrieves it, sidestep Malins and a couple of more England players and Scotland keep possession. What have we just seen? I mean, Scotland are already... They're, they're still four points down, but was this the moment? <laughs> I mean, Stuart, SWH. He stared public humiliation, the gales of laughter of five other nations in this moment, and he got away with it. Is this a new Scotland? Are they an actual rugby team? <laughs> I mean, sure, they had to rely on one of the stupidest pieces of play I've ever seen from any player in any sport to oh, actually win Dickie. the thing. But that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Scotland are a major factor in this tournament. And I fully expect them to go to Wales next week and get a bonus point. Sorry, not a try bonus point, a losing bonus point, obviously. Five points in their first two games is a really good result from this growing Scotland team. And that's what I expect them to have come next Saturday evening. Scotland played two points. Five. Play the bedtime for fuck's sake. You know, I had a huge amount of belief within the boys um, to come down here and win. Stuart Hogg turns up to the top winning the bloody World Cup. I love it. Stuart Hogg. I believed in the boys' ability. Man of the man. <laughs> Scotland are a disgrace to work for. <laughs> Uh, was that an apology? Didn't sound much like an apology to me, Kieran. Although I did like the fact that you, you're now using hog, to hog as a verb. Mm. I mean, w- w- what does the verb mean? Basically, mm. just to act like Stuart Hogg at any moment in your life, regardless of whether it's on a rugby, regardless of whether it's on a rugby pitch or not. Just, if you're hogging it, then that's what you're doing. What would Hoggy do? I saw him say afterwards that that what we what we really need now is belief in ourselves as a team and belief in ourselves as individuals. I was yes. thinking, no, 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 you've had, you've had to believe for yeah. a long time, as as previously stated on many occasions. Oh, but now God. you you have the 
you have what it takes to back it up. Murph, come on, apologize to, to the uh, sc- We've got a lot of Scottish members and, just and non-members indeed listening on Monday. What an unbelievable roller coaster Saturday was. I mean, mm. at the exact moment that I was thinking, God, you know, Scotland winning. You know, like, what does this mean for me, for my standing in the rugby journalism community? England bring on Joe Marler, and I realise. I, just, I can't lose here. Like, <laughs> this is just unbelievable. Uh, so, uh, you want an apology? Well, I Listen, go, no, go to Cardiff, beat Wales, and then, <sighs> then, maybe then, I'll believe in this Scotland team. Like, what we saw on Saturday was just kind of, you know. I mean, in the last 10 minutes, how confident were you that Scotland were going to close this out without doing something ridiculous to throw the game away? Uh, never, never in doubt for me. Okay. Well, you may have been in a mi- minority of one there, on, But. Listen, they did great. Can they back it up next week against possibly, well, possibly, definitely the worst Welsh team of the last 20 years? Ken, mm-hmm. did you see this Cow and Dickie incident that Murph referenced there? No. Right, so Ball is being kicked. He's the last defensive player on his wing. Ball, I mean, he's not a winger, but he, he's out there. Ball is kicked high in the air. He, rather than compete in the air with it with his Scottish counterpart, he bats it away deliberately into touch, which you're not allowed to do, and it's an old double punishment. So he, it's a penalty. The, the referees deem it a penalty try, which also means it's a yellow card, and essentially it's all over. Eddie Jones says, well, it's not all over, but it put them under a serious pressure. Eddie Jones said there's no blame being apportioned to him, but this being 2022 and Luke Dickey being a sports person, he is apportioned blame to himself via social media. <laughs> Just want to apologise to all you supporters today for today I let myself and the guys down every time I play for my country I want nothing more than to make you guys proud thanks for all the support looking forward to bouncing back next week so just so you know it's not just a football thing do you applaud Cowan Dickey's um, self-flagellation um, yes no yes <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think it's a, I think it's a waste of time I mean um, he's just drawing attention to himself you know again you know even further attention that. Yeah, I mean, has Marcus Rashford tweeted him? <laughs> Mark and Cowan Dickey, get that head up immediately. No, keep keep that head down, Cowan Dickey. Keep the head, just keep the head down until the next game. And, you are, know, are not even down. You'll find just life don't, will go on. Yeah, just, you, doesn't have to, you don't have to be navel-gazing either. Just look directly forward so that you don't walk into a pole or anything. But just, mm. your head position should just be your normal head position. Neither down nor up, just forward. It's fine. Forward. It's just a game. You're, you're not accountable to anyone other than, you know, your teammates, your coach, uh, not even your family. I don't even really feel uh, in this in this situation. In this instance, so, it's probably look, and true. If, and, if and if they're prepared to, you know, to use you in the next game, then that's all That's all the uh, very forgiveness sensible, you need. Very sensible words, Ken. I like it. Now, before we get into the meat of our rugby chat, I've got some big live event news for you to kick things off on a Monday. News so important, it doesn't even need a Bowron backing track this time. I'm going to go solo on this one, Murph, so you can wow. stand down for the time. I, I mean, yeah. I have it here if you... You're no, sure? No, no, no. We're okay. all good here. Thank no, you very much. No, absolutely. Jeez, own. No, no pressure. But anytime you want to bar on, obviously it's right here beside me. Got so. it. As you guys know, the Where Is George Gibney podcast has received worldwide acclaim over the past 12 months, winning awards all over the place, really. It's been listened to many millions of times in over 160 countries. And this Thursday, tickets go on sale for a once-off event in the National Concert Hall in Dublin called The Making Of Where Is George Gibney. It'll take place on April 20th, and all proceeds from the event will go to One in Four, which is a brilliant charity that provides professional counselling to adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. They helped a lot of people affected by the series so we'd love to raise a lot of cash for them in April the night will feature Mark Horgan obviously Kieran Cassidy of course 
and also the likes of Gary O'Toole, Trish Carney, Johnny Watterson and many others who blew you away during the series. The event will be presented by one of our all-time favourites, Sinead O'Carroll. So April 20th is going to be a very special night in the National Concert Hall. Remember, this is for one night only. It's never going to happen again. This is a celebration of the podcast series and also an amazing opportunity for you to show some support for the work being done by One in Four. If you're a fan of the series or someone you know loved it, then really, you've got to be there. Please do buy a ticket. They go on sale this Thursday at 10am. You can go to nch.ie or secondcaptains.com and for more information on the work of One in Four, go to oneinfour.ie. There you go. Now time for the Six Nations. Back to Campbell, back to Duggan, McLaughlin going for that line, and Ireland are in and over. Simon, no need to ask how you are after that dominant display on Saturday. Feeling good about hey, life? Hey fellas, how are you doing? We're good, we're good. I asked you last week, who is Mac Hansen? <laughs> won't, have to, won't have to ask you that one again for quite a long time. <laughs> it's one of the recurring series for all. He's just going to ask you who our uh, Irish international rugby players are. Who yeah, is yeah. Ronan Kelleher? <laughs> <laughs> we said last week, didn't we, that... We think he leapfrogged Earls and Balakun, the other wingers, for selection because he gets himself involved so much, which he does obviously for Connacht, and that's their style. And he did do that. But just watching it back, particularly in the first few minutes, I think it's also down to his temperament, which Farrell has referred to like two or three times now in the last week, before and after the game. He just has that kind of relaxed, confident thing, like James Lowe, you know, where they assume things are going to go well and then they do go well. Like his first involvement was in the first minute or so, right? The scorching move down the right wing, times his run to perfection, gets the handoff on the Welsh winger, made like 30 metres, made the right decision. And not long after that, he's like spinning along past a Bundiaki for our try. Like for somebody to come in on their debut, nine caps for Connacht, most of them in the URC, he's barely in the country, you know, and then he's in front of 50,000 fans for the first game in the Six Nations and he does all that. It's just such a good marker for somebody's temperament and how they might Mm. go... um, going ahead like but there was a few involvements right that uh he sort of played like an out half and sexton was saying afterwards he's down in the squad he's named as an out half apparently and i don't think most irish people didn't actually know this he's played full back mm. we knew that and but almost always winger for connacht and for the brumbies but played a loaded out half but the ring rose try and we'll tweet this out actually i thought it was the best try because it showed how we reacted turnover ball which is we've been banging on about it for a while about how ireland don't do this very well but it was a Welsh rook, if you cast your mind back. Tyg Byrne spots the ball is out of the Welsh rook. He pressures the Welsh scrum half. That allows Porter time to sort of race up. It's a double tackle and he targets the rip, which you can't always do because you've got to focus on the tackle. But he had time to rush up and do it. Uh, ball goes to the ground. Keller immediately, you can see, thinks there's something on here. It's not like, oh, let me just go to the ground and get this rook going. Flips it up to Gibson Park. Sexton's already switched on to it. But Hansen is the one, I think, is the key one in this whole move. Because by the time even that Keller's flipping it up, if you see the wide angle on the one that we'll tweet, Hansen's already not just spotted that there's something on, he's picked his line and spotted that there's a Welsh second row. I think it's Beard is in midfield. He's kind of a clumsy defender, so Hansen's going to easily beat him. So he takes his line from deep at pace, off Sexton, swerves around Beard, then pulls in Bigger, so Bigger has to focus on Hansen, and then just pulls it back to Bundy. Bundy doesn't hesitate as well, does the right pass out to Ringrose, and then Ringrose finishes brilliantly. But that was like seven, eight, nine great decisions, yeah. great, like at speed by an Irish team, 
all all of them thinking all of them thinking in the collective way even that finish i thought from ring rose was really mm. telling because we've talked about him so often over the years yep. that uh, and, and let's stop making the O'Driscoll comparisons at some point but you know it's it's almost been with him does he back himself as much as he should because he's so amazing yeah. and in a case like that there was another man outside him and he was like no no I'm going I've, yeah. I've got an, I've got an angle here and I'm going to finish this off myself which was good to see and it was one of those where it was the right thing to do to hold on to it but Bundy in that move I thought did the right thing it was a simple thing but it was you know sometimes guys think they can take too much out of the ball no ring rose is flying up outside you just pass it straight away but like Bundy was I think his best ever game for Ireland mm. um as powerful as ever but he's getting so much better in possession me and Shane were discussing it last week how our opinion on Bundy is out of date he's actually just he's he's come up to the mark in that one area that everybody was worried about his distribution he actually took the ball at out half 10 times against Wales <laughs> and I just feel like that reliance on Sexton that not just physically, but tactically, that reliance on Sexton is diminishing as Hansen and Bundy, Hugo Keenan again, that little flip pass, sort of where he wraps his arm behind the Welsh tackler and flips it out to the wing. Like, they're all starting to think creatively. Like, we've four or five creative guys in our back line now, whereas it used to be uh, Murray passed to Sexton, and then we all see what Sexton does. I'm just worried we're going to start relying too much on Ty Furlong as our chief playmaker. That's... Uh an issue for down the line (laughs) our best passer is our our prop Uh, best best at most things in the team is absolutely insane just one point before we bring the guys in here Mm. uh, you wanted to make not the sexiest point I've ever heard made about a rugby (laughs) match Simon but Ireland's discipline and us not giving away many penalties well it just didn't give Wales any sort of an in and they weren't decided we were going to break us down so they were hoping bigger kicks to the corner Beard is good in the line out in fairness and they might have a maul and they get they sort of get their way into that game zero penalties given away by Ireland in the first half and that was when we really put it to bed we sort of I thought physically and mentally dominated Wales and they wouldn't have too much hope going into the second half we gave away a few in the second half nothing too disastrous but what it seems to be is that we now have a pack who play with a sort of ferocity but a control somebody like van der Fleer typifies it right where they're constantly involved in rooks, making their tackles. I think uh, van der Fleer was top tackler. Something like 16 tackles, didn't miss one. But we do it with such good technique, but in control. We don't have any sort of hotheads giving away stupid penalties, trying to pile too hard into a rook, making too aggressive a, a clear out, going too high in a tackle. So we're, we're kind of managing to be so aggressive and so clinical, both in tackle and in the clear outs in rooks, yet not give away penalties. And it just seems like a game changer. And... I'm really worried about the France game, but I think mm. our one clear advantage might be the lack of penalties we give away compared to the French. So Ireland are off to a dominant start to this Six Nations, and we have some Scotland praising to do. Murphy isn't the only one having to eat <laughs> some humble pie today. Shane Horgan, how are you? I've no humble pie to eat. I changed my mind last minute and decided that I was going to go for uh, Scotland, so I'm thoroughly... Um, oh, um, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, I forgot I that. My, my sincere apologies. Well, what a week for you yeah. then. I'm, I'm turning yeah, well, this around, Shane. I'm trying to rescue this here. Uh, Ireland to um, hockey Wales, Scotland to beat England. Yes, I presume that uh, um, that uh, bed is being played <laughs> under this as uh, we speak right now. And I, I'd imagine Alan Dimmick is a pretty happy Scotsman today. How are you, Alan? Well, you would say that. I mean... Uh, being England, par for the course these days, isn't it? It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's now it's now the nervous wait ahead of uh, that dark place for Scot- Scotland fans of Cardiff, where things don't tend to go so good. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Shane, listen, let's start with Ireland-Wales. I'm going to ask you what impressed you most about the performance, but if it doesn't have the words Mac and Hansen in it, then I'm going to have to pull your fader down pretty quick. 
<laughs> um, I listen. It, it was a very good performance by him. I'm delighted for him. Um, first caps can go a couple of different ways, and but getting your hands on the ball in a little bit of space in the first minute after uh, a confident team team attacking from deep that's a good way to start off, isn't it? Um, and he never really looked back from then. Wingers generally are there because they can do good things when they get the ball. Decent footwork, pace, you know, impact the game. Uh, so get the ball to them. Um, we did that. But more than that, uh, he involved themselves, uh, himself in the game. Great industry. Um, cover tackling was good, was brave. Um, it was a pretty good first cap, I have to say. Shane, we've been talking already on the show about the ring rose try and the the way it came about and how significant that might be in terms of this Ireland team progressing to the next level. The fact that it took so many players to be so alert to switch into the same mindset. What was it for you that made it so impressive or what would make you optimistic about Ireland based on that ring rose try? Well, um, a couple of things. One, uh, it was uh, off a turnover, which uh, we spoke about having a a, uh, cogent uh, turnover strategy that was um, not just a case of let's hold on to to, to the ball when we turn it over, assess what's going on, and then react. It's an immediate reaction into um, from, from defense into attack. We saw Porter stripping the ball out using his kind of unique physical strength. It was literally taking, you know, candy for a baby, pulled it out. The reaction to everybody as soon as the ball was stripped was immediate. Um, Bundiaki had to work very hard to get back in and be an active member of that. Mac Hansen getting into the line and, and saying he wanted to be involved in it. Um, Ringrose um, shape, again, he pulled out wider and allowed himself to have that arc and to, to ultimately... Um, and to ultimately uh, get outside the defender. So it, it was clear that nobody was second-guessing what went on. Everybody was aware of what was going on and wanted to be involved in, in a play and exploiting the opportunity. That ring rose try, if you look at it from the Welsh perspective, the best possible outcome for them was taking ages on the ball before it was turned over and then hoofing it right back to Ireland because there was so much pressure on them in that breakdown wide out and the referee is shouting, the ball's out, you've got to play it. And Tyg Byrne is sniffing about. The panic that that created, just by being a nuisance, but legally out wide and being on side with the referee, they'd created a situation where, worst case scenario, they got the ball back um, and they got a, a run-up against Wales. As it happened, Porter, uh, with, with his mutant strength, managed to rip the ball out and, and generate a turnover that a couple passes away turned into a try. But... What, what they're coming up against against France, and if you use metrics like ruck speed to determine who, who potentially comes out on top there, then really this is a hell of a fight for them. Alan, as brilliant as Tyke Furling has been in his career up to now, I thought on Saturday he went to another level altogether. I suspect the French, he's so pivotal and so scary, I kind of feel the French are going to have a plan for him. I'm just imagining someone like Sean Edwards plotting away. And I'm just wondering... Can they, you know, wear him down in other areas? And that French pack, I think it's probably the best scrummaging pack besides South Africa in the world now. And I just wonder if Tyg has to deal with the basics and spend more of his energy in that area, um, will he be diminished in the open field? What, what do you make? What, what do you think of what the French will have planned there? In France, I'm told, um, they have their eye on him, though in a way that only the French could. Um, the thing is, is that France are very excited themselves about their front row. And what they have to offer and one of the big areas of interest for this upcoming match uh, is that 
uh, Cyril Bai, the loose head for France in Toulouse, is one of those players that they're most excited about um, in France. So it'll be interesting to see how they go against each other. Um, Cyril Bai is note, noted for his work around the park as well. And, and in Toulouse, they talk um, in joking terms about how he's a back in a, a very large man's body. Um, and But one of the things I know as well that they're particularly excited about within the French camp is speaking to voices there is that Cyril Bai is exceptional in their eyes for the ability to deal with the crushing contraction of certain set pieces or, or plays around the park. So the scrum, a driving maul, uh, whacking a ruck, and then is able to accelerate into the next play, whether it's a ball carry or making a tackle in a, in a rushed offence. Um, for me, that's a, a mouth, as a, as a neutral, that's a, a mouth-watering prospect seeing Tyg Furlong, um, the world's premier tight head, going against one of the most fancied loose heads in the world game and someone that the French public are very excited about. So, tell you what, it could be explosive stuff. Alan, let's talk about the Scottish victory. Given what you said earlier on, I suppose the obvious question is, how did the underdog English manage to stick in this game for so long? Yeah, I know, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, it's there was that moment in the first half where you realise just how little time Scotland had spent in the England, English 22. And you thought, I mean, at one point, I think just as the, the trial was, was coming up, it had been nine seconds or something like that Scotland had spent in the English in 22. In the first half, yeah, yeah. In the whole first half, right. I mean... Good Lord, how do you, uh, I suppose, it's a, it's a horrible phrase, but it's as close as you can say to rope-a-dope rugby as you'd get. But on the other side of that coin is, how were England so wasteful with all of that possession and territory? Because before the game, you'd have said, regardless of what pack they put in, and you can talk about the injuries that they might have had and the, the, locks, the, lock, the locks that they weren't able to pick and um, the influence in the midfield that they didn't have, but... You'd have expected them to do a lot better when they had their ruck options in Scotland's 22. And the Scottish defence just managed to, to repel them. And if you're wanting to give a man of the match to anyone, it's Steve Tandy just consistently puts his hand up as Scotland's defence coach for someone that has had such a massive influence on the turnaround of this, this Scottish team. Just on that defensive set, it's interesting where um, they are in their development. So... I don't see the Scottish defence as an offensive weapon yet, and you uh, and that is the case for some um, uh, defensive systems. You know, we we see it a lot with um, South Africa, actually France. Um, it, it can be a, an attacking threat. Um, I think the more evolved um, defensive systems, um, you know, you you, you get. You get defensive, you get a, a offensive opportunity from um, a very aggressive defensive line. Um, Scotland aren't there yet, and it is a it's a continuum. They're, so they they're not there, but where they are is a very disciplined, uh, consistent um, defensive alignment that is not super aggressive, but they don't miss many tackles. Um, they don't make stupid decisions in defence. Uh, they don't jump out of the line very very often. And what they do is make you um, go through phase play and make the opposition create the try they don't give you the try or the penalty and that was very much I thought the case um, at the weekend and it's why in answer to your question Alan how can how could England have so much territory and possession in that first half in between the, the, the halfway line and 22 and not score it's because unlike 
many years before, Scotland didn't give them free points and didn't give them a free try. Um, they had to actually work for it. And, um, you know, that might be, you know, that might get them through um, next week even. Um, I don't think it would get them through against, you know, the best, uh, France playing their best or Ireland playing their best. But, as I said, it's a continuum and it's a good starting point to have and a necessary starting point to have before you can do the other bit. Alan, what did you make of the Luke Cowan Dickey penalty try? It was a rush of blood to the head and a weekend where we saw a couple of rushes of blood to the head. We alluded to the, the Josh Adams challenge uh, on Johnny Sexton uh, in that game as well and just a complete explosion uh, of the head for that one. It's It was, it was a sense of panic and actually ultimately that test match between England and Scotland came down to a couple of moments of panic The for, and actually you have to give a bit of credit for the cam head on the field as well so I think I, I tried. I saw some people trying to argue that it wouldn't. Have, it shouldn't have been a penalty try because uh, there was no guarantee that the, that Darcy Graham would have caught it actually in the laws itself it says it's probable try so if you take someone spiking the ball into touch out, out of the equation. It's so blatant. He, he takes the decision yes, out of the exactly. rest of It's so blatant. Exactly. exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Um, so you look at that and then they get the penalty try and then the other moment of panic was when Finn Russell looked up and saw that he could stab the ball into touch so close to the England line with a score at 17 all, and England deciding to try and throw it through Joe Marler to the front of the line out doesn't go five and it's a scrum where England are a man down. It was just, everything hinged on on those moments of just rush of blood to the head. And you have to give credit to Finn Russell for looking up and having a scan of the field and seeing where the opportunities were. First with the crossfield kicks that he had, but then stabbing that ball into touch. It's fair play. Shane, I don't know if Eddie Jones has the ability to doubt himself, but he surely should be at this stage of his career be thinking he might be doing something wrong. I'm not sure. I think he has um, sort of re- reorient- reorientated uh, what his job is and what the expectations are um, for this year. Um, and I think he's done that with an eye on the World Cup. So he's spoken about his three teams. This is a new team. If you if you look at it that way and forget the fact that he's had these two teams before and he's been in the job for quite a long time, you go, well, we got to give this guy a little bit of time, <laughs> don't we? So this hot, this I hot think, young coach, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so you know, you know the expectations are when you're building a new team and maybe trying to do something different. Although I didn't see a lot of evidence of him trying to do something different. Conditions aside, and their attack um, has gone backwards. Sorry, yeah. across it. Uh, I I would say though, you know, England have have great depth, but that back line was very very underweight. And uh, you know, I thought you had you had um, a, a center that you know shouldn't be playing the center you had um, Slade playing a 12 I, you know I think it was one time in the first half you know, they gave him the ball to truck up I was going what are you doing here this is not this mm. guy's job you know silky smooth yeah, outside center you know, yeah, uh, I crash thought, ball exactly um, um, Stewart had uh, sort of an average game because you know or, or less than average game conditions weren't helpful didn't get enough ball in his hands um, wingers looked lightweight, um, and uh, so I, I, I think the and he didn't have Farrell um, to support um, the the sort of attacking philosophy of having a ten twelve combination you could be both handle. So that that's there, and you know you have to you have to cut your cloth according to uh, the players you have. Um, but to to my get back to my original point, 
um, if you are looking at this as a as a process of getting a new team together and uh, building something for the World Cup, then he does get this. He gets a free shot at this uh, Six Nations. I don't know necessarily if he has an absolutely you know horrendous one, and this we don't see an improvement and we don't see better play um, through it. And and they have a season like they had last season. Then I think he does come under massive pressure. But I do think there's an appetite within. The hierarchy at the RFU to trust him and get him through to the next World Cup, um, and he's done a good job of putting himself in that position. It's an it's an interesting one on the idea of being aware of who you're coming up against. So Shane talked about the defensive system that Steve Tandy has. Steve Tandy's gone on the record about talking about zonal work in defence rather than man marking and how he wanted to evolve his game from his time at the Ospreys where it was blitz, 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 blitz and everyone firing up and guys coming out of the line. With that, the back line that England had, they kept throwing players and even the forwards, it was an inside ball into the teeth of that defence where we know it's about zones and where the the most men will be waiting. Now, if we think that, and, and bearing in mind that, that that was a backline as well, where one of your starting centres hadn't even been in the original squad, now we're at a place where a week later, you're hearing conversations of folk going, you know who had a decent game and is fit again for Sale Sharks? Manu Tulagi's back on the list. I, I, I've lost track of what year it is that we're still saying... Oh, the answer is Manitou Lagi's fit again. Let's chuck him in straight away for England. But maybe that is the answer. A bit of what we already know what to expect. Whether he could last last the game at this level still or off of the back of the season that he's had it is up in the air. But certainly the selection choices doesn't talk to an idea at the moment of this is exactly what the identity of this England team was. We accept that finishing fifth last season was unacceptable for a team of this standing and to correct it and move forward for next year so that there's that that element. There's a a little bit of a sense, I saw someone saying earlier today, there's a little bit of a sense of where Ireland were in 2020 with England at the moment. The thing is, though, is that there's a Rugby World Cup next year. Shane, take your victory lap then, and and once again, my apologies on your Scotland prediction. <laughs> um, so I've got to ask you now: Are they contenders for the championship? Even if Alan sounds a little bit worried about what might happen next weekend against Wales, it, it, it's funny that I, while it was really necessary for them to beat England under those circumstances, I didn't feel as if oh my oh my goodness, Scotland have now answered all the questions that uh, we were mm. posing. Um, again, that seems probably a little bit harsh because they did what they had to do and um, they won the game. And you know, key moments in the game, you can't uh, you can't uh, dismiss them as, as not important and uh, or, or not maybe the most important thing. And in the key moments, you know, they put the, transferred the pressure onto England. And yes, it was it seemed like a ridiculous mistake um, or a ridiculous error uh, by Cameron Dickey, but. Right, they got out to that wild channel really effectively. It was a really good kick in the first instance, and then they came back with a play that I, I'm certain that was um, planned. So they they go wide, wide. Cowan Dickey wasn't out there by accident. Mm. It's because that's because they dragged the winger full back over to the other side um, from the first cross kick. So they identified him. And listen, you put any hooker under in that position, they're not used to taking a ball over their head. Now. He became disorientated or panicked or whatever it is, and he probably chose the worst option he could have gone with. The but kick was so good that he, he was almost forced to kick, make a decision, yeah. 
and if you notice the kick was different and i don't know if i'm giving you know too much praise here but the type of kick was different the first one lower trajectory the one that i would absolutely as a winger i absolutely loved it's easy to catch and um it's it's exactly what you want allows you to keep for momentum this there was a little bit more height than it so it was it was actually more difficult it was it came down on top of them so you can't really attack it. It's it's a very difficult ball to catch. It's more difficult for the attacker as well, but it's still difficult for the defender, and then exceptionally difficult for uh, for um, uh, a hooker. So, kudos to all that. It didn't ha- happen by accident. And also that then you look at the try that they scored, having had so little time in the first half. That was complete textbook move, ben, and it was ben great. There was a sh- Darcy Graham to Ben White, ah, yeah, phew, so good, right? Yeah. Um, complete training park move, and it was funny. There was a clip, um, a shot to the. Um, coach's box um you know just after the tries there sometimes is and they're all delighted but i could see i think it was tandy or it was one of the um assistant coaches to um um uh, gregor tapping gregor on the on the on the um on the leg you could see it was like that's that's you that's you well done like because it was it was exactly the right type of play from the um short line out or sorry sorry the um sort of, uh, trick line out was uh, was at the very front so they guaranteed the ball because they didn't need to go to the back it's what wasn't what, the, what they were doing they went into the midfield got it just the right point of midfield finn russell kept on coming around so that draws them around knowing that England uh, like to keep their midfield together and that they um on but they'll they'll mark the short side with the people from the um middle of the rook sorry middle of the um line out so you've got the two second rows and you've got Ben Youngs then you've got Hogg as first receiver who's uh, you know a, a brilliant um, brilliant in that role you had actually a, sh- a line a short line coming so that cuts off the defenders around the rook it enticed Atoje to jump out of the line. The ball goes to Hog. Brilliant first receiver. Great footwork. You know that that puts everyone under pressure. And there's a really short line from Darcy Graham. The next bit that he did was exceptional. You know, really, really great managing to completely sidestep Stewart, and then um, great play from um, from Ben. Um, White as well to to be you know following up, but he was following up there because the expectation is that's the, where the ball will get to, and you will score a try if you take if you run that uh, line. So that you know that's really good planning and execution of um, a move that's been that's put in the locker because you've analysed an England team and how they defend. That's two tries that have come from that. So you know kudos to that. You know the way Darcy Graham came through the gap there just off Hog. And Tyke Byrne did it a couple of times. Tyke Furlong did it. Um, Josh van der Fleer did it. And it just strikes me that Ireland and Scotland, they're not the two best teams in the world, even though loads of other coaching stuff are saying Ireland might be the form team at the moment. But Ireland and Scotland seem to me the best two teams in the world at the moment at a player like Darcy Graham or Tyke Byrne, whoever it is, at picking that angle between two defenders. And it beats like 20 or 30 slow possessions that England had in that game and Wales had in that game and France for quite a long time against Italy. It just strikes me like that's such a difference maker, that sort of guy with that speed, that footwork, the brain mostly, let's be honest, you don't even need to be that fast if you pick the right angle. And it's separating Ireland and Scotland from teams that should be able to beat them and compete with them. Yeah, and it, it um, there's more to it than just picking the line as well, Simon. It's yeah, That's yeah. a mismatch. So as I've said, how do we set up forwards back to mismatch? Because no, but, you know, no matter how good your forwards are, you know, maybe the exception to Ireland at the moment, but they're not as as aware and they're not always in that position that's about uh, out a little bit wider. So laterally and connecting to each other, they're not quite as good in the defensive system. So they've done that. This pace 
Um, the initial hit up has meant this forward momentum. So the attacking team is going forward. The defensive team is going backward. That means they're on their heels a little bit. Then you've got someone mm. at first receiver who's um, instilling panic in the defense. And that is that is Hog, and you know that's exactly what you want from the, from your first receiver, and then the the depth is right because the players are confident in Hog picking the right pass, and they're confident in their own speed, which is Darcy Graham's quick, so he doesn't have to rush onto it. And while that panic is coming, and and Hog is interesting two players, which he does as soon as that second player, his eyes change a little bit or his shoulders move a bit, that's when you pick your line, and the 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 speed. And that rugby is played at the moment. If you can get the ball when the player has changed his eyes or changed his shoulders or hips, then it's all over. And that's what they're identifying. What what ties these two together, actually, and it was alluded to earlier, is uh, the idea of Sexton uh, not always having to be the guy that takes the ball at the front line. And and Finn, in the lead up to that try, Finn Russell was used almost as bait and it, it's a big thing we talk often about I mean I think England even spoke in the build up to this game about hunting after Finn Russell and it's a similar principle to, to what's happening with Johnny Sexton where you can s- slide him in behind or using use someone else at first receiver because everyone is so obsessed with going after these guys who have got such a massive reputation who everyone thinks dictates every single bit of play and the, the truth is is that teams at this level with this level of prep are multifaceted and they need other guys to come in at first receiver I think Shane's right to highlight the, the work of Hogg there and certainly other players from the Scotland team afterwards made a point of, of talking about that because he had to ride the tackle even though Itoji jumped out the line. He had to ride a little bit of a contact and give that perfect little offload ball and Darcy Graham is just a little bit of an anomaly. The, the size and shape that he is, he's, he delivers well above Five, what you seven, like Michael Airy. Yes, exactly. Well, it's funny you say that because speaking to the coaches at Ulster, they they say that Michael Lowry reminds them a little bit of Darcy Graham and that he completely punches out out of his his weight class in terms of footwork into the breakdown and everything else. So it's it's an interesting comparison that one. Shane, I want to wrap up by bringing it back to Ireland France. What's feeling like a, a, as big a game as it gets in the Six Nations for us? T- tougher than New Zealand, for example. Yeah. Now Simon said earlier that a lot of coaches and players are saying that Ireland are the best team in the world. They're mostly French coaches and players, should be said. So I think there's a little bit of a wind going on already. Antoine Dupont says Ireland are surely the favourites for the championship. Uh, Sean Edwards, Ireland are the form team in world rugby. Um, do you agree with either of those sentiments? And do you oh. think we? Red, red, red hot, hot favourites as a certain coach Paris, might say. as we always are. <laughs> yeah, red yeah. hot favourites because of our long history of success in, uh, <laughs> in Paris. In, in Paris, why, why, why exactly. wouldn't we be? So I can see um, you're taking that with a pinch of salt. But what, what's your read of this uh, build-up already at this stage of the week? The other, we're, we're, the other thing about this Irish team and these Irish performances, it's so early in the cycle here because I, I know Farrell has been in place for for. A number of years. How many years is it now? Three years? Three-ish yeah, years? Yeah, took over in 2019 after the World Cup. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so you think, uh, ordinarily, you would go, okay, well, listen, this is when a team should be really coming into his own and knowing what they're doing. And it does look on the outside that that's the case. But I don't feel as if that um, the, the transition between what was previously the Joe Schmidt era and the new, say, say 2.0 Andy <laughs> Farrell, has been going on for three years. It hasn't. Um, and we said this many times in the previous two years that it was Joe Schmidt-Light. Um, so um, 
the real change uh, you could say and maybe it's fair to say it coincided with with paul o'connell's um, um uh, elevation to to um assistant coach or certainly the england game or probably more accurately the autumn series so you know when you take it in, in that sort of you know that sort of focus you go well ireland are nowhere near their peak here or developed on their cycle and the expectations shouldn't be that they're delivering on this Six Nations. However, I think France should, um, the expectations should be that France beat Ireland next weekend. Um, I think Who's Ireland the expectation? France's? France's and, okay. and probably World Rugby should be mm. as well. You spoke about everybody saying nice things about Ireland. That's great. Haven't seen enough of Ireland. Um, I haven't seen them uh, against, um, you know, uh, go through a full Six Nations against with all the pressures that come with the New Six Zealand, Nations. New Zealand, Shane. I mean, with the, it's, it's not as though this match is coming out of nowhere. We've beaten yeah. England and New Zealand, uh, you know, in, in the last number of games as well as everyone else. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that that isn't an issue. And it's one of the the, the reasons why we're, we're optimistic. But it is different to go through a season playing this way um, with a seven-day turnaround, with a match in, in Paris, not a home um, international at the end of an autumn series and a very long year for New Zealand. The New Zealand result was brilliant, exceptional. We don't do it very often, but neither do we beat France in Paris very often. So our expectations shouldn't be necessarily that we're going to do that next week. All right, Shane, after <laughs> after all the talking up, thanks for lowering expectations coming into next week. Shane Horgan and Alan Dimmick, thanks, Mel. Pops it up there. Got a chance here as the ball has been stripped and it's Ireland. Do have an out. Jemison gives it back to Sexton. Sets it up for Mac Hansen over the 10 metre line towards Bundy. Sweeps it across to the ringer. Ring rolls inside the 22 metre line. Sweeps aside as Ring Rose goes to the line. Gary Ring Rose with the try. Gary Ring Rose with the bonus point for Ireland. That is free flowing rugby. Hansen to Bundy. Ring Rose was there. Conway if needed. He wasn't. Listen, I know we've got a long way to go this year, but Saturday set an early benchmark for epic Irish sporting Saturdays. Ireland's bonus point win in Wales. Leona Maguire becoming the first Irish woman to win a title in the LPGA Tour. There was also Kerry confirming the demise of the once great football team. <sighs> the Big Sam memes are starting up, which means it's all over, Kenneth. I'm afraid to inform you about that. We're going to Oshin and Flitter on all that during the week, uh, plus the red card fest. You saw this, Tyrone Ken, right? You did see uh, how good uh, Big Sam looked in that Dublin uh, range. I saw the I saw the, the picture of Big Sam, but what was it? What was it referring to? Is well, he he's, 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 he's going to be the troubleshooter, Ken. Where things have gotten so desperate for the Dublin football team that I'm sorry, Desi, your time is over. Big Sam, in you come. What it's was a the relegation final score? Dogfight. It's a rele- relegation dogfight, and who else do you need in a relegation dogfight? It's Sam with long ball. Well, it was the halftime score that was the more worrying. Mm. 114 to 4 points at halftime. It finished 115 to 9. 114 to 4 points. Yeah. I mean, there was a gale blowing. What happened there? Even at that. That's that's the question. That's the question I'm going to be addressing with Paul Flynn and... Why are people asking these questions? Wasn't the wind was just blowing one way and that was the, the, the... Dublin had numerous uh, shots headed between the posts only for them to be blown back by the, the, by the, the wind. Yeah, 
Ken, also, I mean, you know, we can get into this further during the week, but the, the officiating team decided to black card Niall Scully, one of Dublin's most important players, who was standing about 70 yards away from the incident <laughs> that, that took place. So, you know, listen, I'm not saying everyone's lining up against us, but... So uh, they won the first half by 17 points to four, and we won the second half by five points to one. Uh, yeah. So actually yeah. our win was proportionately... Greater. <laughs> Proportionally, yes. Mm. Yeah, yes, the ratio, the right. points ratio was was even more in our favor. So it does so look. The first as half was thir- if the first half was thirty five minutes long and the second half was one hundred and fifteen minutes long, then you know you might have you might have been able to get the job well, done. It does look as though there was a uh, there, there was some other factor uh, affecting things that seemed to favor the side that was playing in a particular direction in that game. <laughs> no, but uh, you know. I'm sure it'll be just that the conditions will be pretty similar to that in uh, in September at HQ. October? August? September? July, actually, this year. Yeah, very early. July! Very, yeah, scary. very early, Ken. Yeah. What's this? July? Uh, you'll have a grand quiet August around Fairview, though. Ken, that's the important thing. I should have mentioned that Seamus Power was also still in contention on Saturday night as well in the US, so it was pretty amazing. But uh, what about Leona Maguire, Murph? Impressive stuff. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, and we kind of knew that we were dealing with a proper star from the Solheim Cup last year. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you still want to get that first uh, LPGA Tour win out of the way. And now she can really push on, you know, because, you know, we've, we, we saw just how gutsy, how, what an unbelievable competitor she was. I mean, I just remember watching the Solheim Cup and she was on like the third tee having won the first two holes. I was like, we literally don't have to see another shot of this game. She's like, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> and it was actually amazing. Yeah. Uh, so Saturday night, again, uh, just so good. I think it's nice to see, you know, the, the it's always a good sign when the American commentators, as soon as she holds a winning put, are saying the first of many for Leona McGuire. There's a pressure yeah. that goes with that, but I think as you've alluded to there, it doesn't seem like she's too phased by anything going on, so she should yeah. be all right. And you know, you just you're you're just you can't wait for the next major to come around and see her in contention and just take the confidence that she took obviously from Saturday night and just go and win one of those. Now she's ah, she's something else. She's absolutely unbelievable. Murph, thanks so much. Ken, thanks so much. We'll be back a little bit later on today to talk some some football. I'm guessing there might be some Sadio Mane, Mo Salah uh, chat in there. So looking forward to that. You can join us in the World Service for all our podcasts during the week, secondcaptains.com. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. And thank you, Ken. And thank you, Scotland. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.